Welcome to the What Do You Do With Your 24 podcast from 24 Tire. I am Ty Rickstrew, and my guest today is Tom Rizzo. Tom is a, currently a captain in his 23rd year of law enforcement. After creating a criminal suppression unit, he found his passion at, as a leader was to develop others. After graduating the Command and Leadership Academy by West Point, he became an adjunct college professor and created his nationally renowned course, Ivory Tower. He's published several articles, and his first book, Kapakazi, was released in 2021 and went to number one on Amazon. His proudest accomplishment is that of being a father of four children. Welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. Um, I know kind of my first time uh, meeting you in person was at the Atlantic City uh, conference, the Street Cop conference, and I was kind of thinking of what I wanted to initially start out whenever I do these to kind of get the ball rolling, um, and sometimes I like to tell a little bit of a story, but I kind of just want to talk about how everyone that seems to be around that that organization is just super willing to be helpful and talk to others. And I mean, just you even being on this podcast today, but um, the other day I had a, actually super recently I had a stop and I went to one of Tom Stack's trainings and yeah. on Memorial Day, I'm on the phone with Tom talking about a stop that I had and everything. And he's connecting me with other people and doing all this. And it was just like, this is incredible because I feel like a lot of places you don't have this type of, this type of person, let alone this type of like just willingness to get out and get after it. Yeah, you know, I guess what attracted me and so many people to the platform and there's more out there too, which is nice. I guess it's refreshing to find out and to figure out that there's so many of us out there who are legitimately looking to make other people better. So by taking, you know, and again, and I'm not pitching my course, but literally the logo I had created by taking pieces of you and giving them to other people, and that exchange happens, and then you take pieces from somebody else, and you fill some voids that you may have. And a void could be as simple as an investigative lead, a piece of technology, or just a mentality, right? I mean, just something of uh, a story of perseverance. Hey, he or she got through it, which then gives me the courage to know that I'll get through it too. Um, so I think like minds, uh, a, a system of values that then, you know, attract like-minded people. That's you know, so unfortunately, if our organizations aren't doing it, well, then maybe we can solidify our energy, you know, on a platform and still be just as effective. Absolutely. And I don't know. I mean, you've been a cop about almost as long as I've been alive. So I know <laughs> you probably know way more than I do about stuff. But I feel like there is this new um, like a little bit about my background is I used to work on TV shows as a camera guy before I even got into law enforcement. And so my background is like understanding networking and talking to people and like kind of putting yourself out there. I don't want to say as like an influencer, but I feel like there's like this new wave of law enforcement where it is kind of more socially accepted to be out there. Um, kind of how a lot of the guys on like, you know, you have Kenny with his social medias that he puts out there and all those kind of things. What is kind of your thoughts as far as being able to do podcasts and put it out there, but still be working for an agency or trying to do a, course or write a book or any of those things well I, I think it's a double you know it's a double-sided coin um the challenges are I, I think the obvious the industry that we work in right we're not good at being fans of each other and what I mean by that is not fans in terms of you know in seats cheering for somebody at a sporting event but when we see other folks to the right or to the left of us getting something that maybe we wish we had or maybe we wished or maybe we thought that we deserved, we're not good at that. So I think 
instantly it creates a system and a, an audience of the people who just want to throw stones for the sake of throwing stones. But then I think the effectiveness of it cannot be denied. The fact that, you know, we met at a conference and now here we are across computer screens sharing information, right? How many people that I've been blessed to both learn from and to hope that they take a piece from me to get them better across the country that logistically there's probably no way we could ever meet, right? Mm -hmm. You talk about classes and this and that. It's like, you know, it's hard to do. You're only one person and you're, you know, if you're still working full time, which obviously I am, and so are the majority of the other folks, it's very difficult to do. Uh, so I think platforms um, that allow for information sharing, um, debriefs, catharsis, uh, everything in between, uh, I think it, it can't be denied. And I'm a hypocrite because I was never a fan of social media. I used to actually poke jokes at my friends and be like, oh, there you are posting that, you know, uh, you had a birthday cake last night. Like, who cares? You know, so mm -hmm. that was me. I've now embraced um, the overwhelming power and the influence and the reach that you can have. Yeah, I think it's amazing. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so I don't want to switch stuff up too much, but what kind of was your inspiration to write a book? Oh, a uh, bucket list. Okay. You know why? Um, it, you take like Dakota Meyer, right? He, he makes that famous speech where he talks about everybody's got a beginning, right? When you were born, everybody's got an end. Unfortunately, when you die, it's the dash. What'd you do with the dash? Mm -hmm. And I think that regardless of your time here, when you do something that could be memorialized as kind of, um, this is who I am. This is what I stand for. This was my message. So, I never liked grammar. I never liked English in school. I, I wasn't that guy, but I fell in love with the fact uh, for me, it was it was very soothing to get my thoughts onto paper and then to know that someone somewhere can pick that up and read it or listen to it and instantly relate to each other and say, yeah, 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 I felt that way or yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Uh, so for me, it wasn't about telling a fancy story. And that's not to knock the police officers out there that write books about, you know, um, hey, this one time on this car stop. I think those, mm -hmm. I've read those. I'm fans of those books as well. But yeah. I wanted to do this differently because I saw how much the industry was being threatened by, yeah, by yeah you know, op opposition style groups, but more so the internal um, damage that we were doing to ourselves, you know, hence why I titled it the way I did. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Um, as being a leader and as being someone that teaches about leadership, when did you find that you were a leader and when did you start? Because I guess I have a theory that like, I, I, maybe everyone can be leaders. I don't know. But I think some people might just be born with it, but it's kind of just like a muscle that you have to work and become really good at it. I don't know if you believe the same idea, but like, when did you start realizing that it started clicking that, Hey, I want to be a good leader or be someone that's going to be this great leader. Uh, you know, it was real simple. If you look at a famous quote, uh, by Patton, right? Lead me, follow me or get out of my way. Uh, I think inherently all of us want to be led, you know, again, an excerpt from my course, I talk about this. We're followers. We really are. Everybody likes to believe that when you pin a badge on your chest that he or she becomes that alpha, uh, when in fact, nah, we're, we're followers. Look at our culture. We all get the same haircuts. We all wear the same type of clothes. We only work out our biceps, right? <laughs> you know, we all do the same. We all do the same things. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's when we see the failure of somebody taking us by the reins and say, hey, let me show you how, let me do this the right way. We start to doubt. And I think you reach that crossroad. It's either you become the problem or you become part of the solution. I've been fortunate enough to be promoted, but I preach and I pray and I practice that I do believe it's a perspective, not a rank. I, the, I can say this much to you, my man. The best, most, you know, inspiring and oh my gosh style leaders that I've met throughout the country um, don't hold very high rank. Uh, so hmm. give that for what it's worth. I think yeah. it's about your ability to influence the room around you, not let the room influence you. Mm -hmm. Not being impressionable. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, I kind of like the whole leadership as a perspective. Um, can you talk kind of more on that? Sure. I, so I, I do this block where I talk, that especially I like getting uh, this out to, especially like recruits or younger officers, where I say, take this and take this for what it's worth and internalize it. And I've had some administrations look at me cross-eyed when I say this, and I'm not knocking them. <laughs> Leadership as a perspective is nothing more than looking at it as you work for yourself. You work with ABC agency. And if you think of why I'm saying that, because you don't just surrender everything that you are to a specific agency. And why, why doesn't that work? Well, because when things are going good, you feel like, hey, cool, the tide will carry me. But then mm -hmm. when things aren't going good, it's just instant, oh my God, there goes everything. So what I say is if you work for yourself and you establish a set of requisite skills, abilities, faculties, values that make up who your DNA is, you can endure the storms. You can enjoy the sunny weather, but regardless, the, the product that gets put out is this. It's more consistent. It's not based on peaks and valleys, which is what an organizational climate and culture will provide for. So you lead yourself. I don't care what rank you are. No one controls 100% of your day. You know that. I know that. And I say it all the time. I don't care what your organization is. They don't control 100% of your day. So if you don't enact some of these types of leader behaviors, despite your rank, you're never going to make it work, mm -hmm. at least not consistently. Yeah, absolutely. What's your thought? Like, how, how do you, I don't know how to put this. Whenever I, there was a time, I don't know when the shift happened. I think it was several years ago, but I used to just think like, I just kind of had it all figured out. And then I started realizing that like, always be a student, never a master. And so just constantly be learning. And so I know whenever, especially whenever I was getting into law enforcement, I was starting to look for leadership stuff because like how my brain works is like, I want to understand the full picture of things or understand something completely. So then I have the confidence whenever I'm presented with the situation to make the decision because I have all the information. I'm not just kind of like figuring it out as I go. And that's one reason that I love street cops so much and stuff because it's like, it's teaching you to kind of really fully understand something. So whenever you're presented with these situations, you're training and you're already able just to adapt and make a decision. And so I know that I definitely wasn't the guy that's like, I'm putting on the badge and the all the cool gear or whatever. And like, oh man, I just know what I'm doing. I'm like, I feel like the same guy. I just got a uniform on. But I, my brain is still the guy 20 seconds ago that didn't have all this stuff. And so I was looking for ways to become a better leader and understand how to kind of fill that role and I found Jocko and I started finding your stuff and it was just incredible. But how, I don't know if I just like stumbled upon it, if that's how I work. Cause I know a lot of the guys that I work with or that I've talked to, 
they're just not like that. Like when if they get, especially if they get promoted, they're like, I'm just a sergeant now. So I'm going to do what I, what I see happen is I just see guys that get promoted into sergeant and they just start doing the things that they hated being done to them, to the guys below them. But why wouldn't they? Yeah. The system only provides for what? Training. Mm-hmm. What a, I say all the time, if we should train dogs. I, w- I want to train a dog <laughs> to perform a certain way in the field. Mm-hmm. People should be developed. So everybody's already got the physical ability to lead. Think about that. Everybody physically has those abilities. Mm-hmm. But if you don't develop the people part of it, it's not going to work. We're people. Mm-hmm. We both lead people. And then who do we serve in our communities or arrest or assist or protect people? The rest is for technology. The rest is for equipment. Mm-hmm. You lead lives, you manage material. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. Um So getting into real resiliency, what does that kind of mean to you? Huh. Vulnerability. <laughs> the two go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. If you don't have somebody to look for, to give you, resiliency is not about, we've mistaken and we've blurred the line between rehabilitation, right? So so somebody, somebody has a, a struggle with a substance. Somebody has a struggle with mental health. Somebody has a struggle with life. Somebody has a struggle with the job. Um, We've coined that that's resiliency training. That's resiliency in and out. Resiliency has to do with the fact that if we started to lean upon each other in a sense of vulnerability where, okay, I, I'm above you in an organization in terms of rank. Well, if I was to maybe to start expose my vulnerabilities of, hey, listen, man, uh, I screwed up at this point in my life. This is where I made a big boo-boo. This is where I wish I had behaved differently. This is where I wish I had spoken differently. This is this right here is where I was a hypocrite. See, if we did that, that would equip other people with the fact of, okay, so now when I hit that obstacle, I'll have the resilience to know it's not the end. I have audibles I could call. I have detours I can run. So, so leaders are so scared in our industry to do that because they believe by exposing those vulnerabilities, we also explore, exploit the fact that and, and put on display that we're not perfect. We're not so above. We're not so, you know, without blemish. And I think the exact opposite is true. I think the true definition of resiliency is for me to embrace my vulnerability and to reach out to you and say, my brother, my sister, guess what? Been there. And I regret it every day but I'm going to make it a point that I've gotten better. And here's how first step is admission, just like you would in an AA meeting, right? Mm-hmm. Gotta be able to admit it when we're born <laughs> so great, but let me show you. Yeah. I have a scar. Yeah. I got some baggage. I, I call it, you know, the rucksack of resilience. I got some stuff in there that's regret. And I got some stuff in there that, that's helped breed resilience, but that's in my rucksack. So I'm going to help you what I've taken out of it and what I've put in it. That's going to help me continue on my march. Mm-hmm. Man. I feel like that makes total, I mean, I think that's, <laughs> it's one of those things that I feel like it's so hard to make that switch and actually like embrace being able just to say, hey, these are the mistakes that I made 
And especially I feel like, I don't know what it is, but I feel like as soon as start, people start getting higher up in rank or getting into a leadership thing, it's almost just like they just don't want to make it seem like they make mistakes anymore. And that it's just like... It's not that, though. Yeah. But but no, Ty, it's not that. And it's not it's not so hard. The world, is, it's been proven, the world embraces and loves underdogs. Mm-hmm. The, the world embraces and loves that story of... I was at the bottom of my barrel and look at how I pulled myself out, right? Mm-hmm. The comebacks. We look at it as what? From from West Coast to East Coast, North to South, we put on blast when somebody screws up. Mm-hmm. Do you ever hear on blast <laughs> when somebody does something well? No. So, so sure. we, we breed this environment of you better get it right every single time, which is impossible. We all know it mm-hmm. because we're human beings and humans are perfectly imperfect. And then what we fail to do is at those press briefings, at those, you know, uh, those Q&As, we always fail to say, yes, you know what, I'm here today because, you know, Officer Jim Jones, you know, made this, you know, this uh, headline here about doing this or doing that. Let me explain it by the numbers and then go into, you know, anybody if placed in this circumstance, despite your training and your development and your, and your experience, they're going to be scared. They're going to be nervous. Mm-hmm. They got a lot going on, you know? Uh, so did we score a C minus here? We did. Yeah, we did. But there's a human being behind the actions. And I'm going to say, we're going to look at some opportunities here on where we can improve. And we're going to look at some opportunities here where we can highlight and say, I'm damn proud of you too. Mm-hmm. But leaders are so scared to do that because we feel like we almost blindly have to subscribe to a system of perfection. But it's not real. Yeah. The United States of America alone is looking to embrace the fact that we're not perfect. But you know why I know that for a fact, Ty? Because they want us to look at them that they're not perfect. So when mm-hmm. they, oops, I was going a little bit too fast today. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't see that stop. You know what? Yeah, mm-hmm. I did roll through that stop sign. You know why? I was on my phone too. Yep. Ever have a bad day, sir? <laughs> Ever screw up, ma'am? Yep. So did I. Wow. Have you always been like this throughout your career? Have you always kind of had this take and this look at it? Or is this something that something happened or you made a switch or something throughout your time? Uh, embarrassingly, <laughs> it's because I've made every mistake there is to make. Okay. And I continue to. Mm-hmm. I've screwed up um, relationships uh, to include, you know, the ultimate relationship, right, uh, with my wife. Mm-hmm. And I would love to give you that sexy story of uh, I had some battle with alcoholism and ran out and, you know, met all these women. And did, no, I don't have a sexy story. I have an embarrassing story based upon ignorance and an improper balance of work life. Mm-hmm. And I've made every one of these mistakes. And you know what the common denominator was in every one of my scenarios was me. So I had good bosses. I had the worst bosses. I've had record setting events in my life where, hey, good for me. And I've had deplorable events in my life that I'll never be able to wash from my brain. Mm-hmm. And again, in every circumstance was people. So now when you see some of these folks throughout the country, that I couldn't even hold a candle to in the game of interdiction. I was, I thought I was good at that stuff until <laughs> I met these people. Mm-hmm. I mean, whoa. And man, oh man, did they take what I had just a little bit of an understanding of, and now they've put it nationally on what? How to deal with people. 
man. These the way that those people do the way that I say it's so cool when you can have somebody put the handcuffs on themselves <laughs> because of the way that you can. I mean, mm-hmm. man, oh man, oh man, can't you get valuable at it? So that's where I took it to a leadership mentality to lead myself out of my own path of destructive behavior. And now I try to spread it as many, you know, to many people as I can. So even if people don't accept it or people smack me down, I'll still get back up. How do you think in some of those times that you've been at kind of your lowest, if someone's listening to this and maybe they're in, they're in it, but sometimes it's hard to see that in the next six months, the year, it's going to get better. And it's only, you're, it's only going to go up from here. What's kind of the advice that you would give to someone that's in one of those situations? Well, this might shock you, but I actually don't give the advice of like, it's inevitably going to get better mm-hmm. because I think that that's really within somebody's control and no one, when they're at that point in life wants to hear the simple, you know, uh, econo package message of, Hey, don't worry. It's going to get better. The mm-hmm. time, time always travels and everything always gets better. Uh, can't get worse than this. <laughs> yeah. Say that to a person that's in a rut. Cause it's always relative, right? Mm-hmm. I know that there's, I know you, for instance, I can guarantee you've experienced some things in your life that are worse than some of the things I've experienced. Right. So I'm never going to, but what is it to me? What's the most important thing to me It's what I'm going through right now. So yep. I'm going to block you out, Ty, because I can't hear what you have to say because to me, my world is around me and it's the worst it could ever be. That's the way our minds work. Mm-hmm. So that's where I believe in you yourself building a toolbox of the things that, that will help you out of that rut. Some of the simple things are nutrition, you know, overall health. These things always just make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Faking it until you feel it. I can't tell you how embraced mm. how, how much I've embraced that philosophy. Literally on days where I would say, woe is me, the typical Tom, the world is against me. I don't feel like it. I would fake it until I feel it. Mm-hmm. And then something I preach in class, I believe in it so much that literally made it, and my, my daughter made a necklace for me out of it. You go to your grateful. Um, go into your grateful. Dr. Gills talked mm-hmm. about this. A guy ran at 59 and a half, did six, back to back to back to back to back to back, double triathlons. And he says when he would feel his, everything overcoming him on why he can't go any further and why it's the end of the road, goes to your grateful, but you got to mean it, what that grateful is. And the body can't be physiologically stressed and grateful at the same time. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I started to stop looking at all the things that were against me and started to look at even the small things that were with me and I was blessed to have, it starts to feel like the elephant on your chest becomes just a little bit smaller piece by piece. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's an, <laughs> that's a great way to look at it. I'm definitely going to take some notes from that. Um, what do you think about whenever, I don't know how to word this, but like, I feel like I've, you like, you want, you're wanting to become a good leader and you're wanting to get into leadership, um, or maybe you just got promoted or whatever it might be. And you start wanting to, I don't want to say change people, but there's people on your shift or whatever it might be. And you're like, Hey, you know, you have this idea of how the shift could really work together. And then it's probably a little bit more of like these little tiny steps to get to that bigger goal of helping someone develop. How do you think the best roadmap for that looks like? Slow and steady. The biggest mistake that I've made that in terms of that game, and I see this throughout the country, and I'm no different. As soon as that patch happens or that designation happens, everybody takes on this personification that 
I have to change everything. Slow and steady. The best way you could do it is by starting incrementally by taking the good things that you have and identifying how you got to be good at those things mm-hmm. and sharing that with the people around you. You start, what I always believe in is you start in intimate circles, which then spread like a good cancer. Because again, it's oxytocin, right? It's mother's na- it's mother nature's chemical on us that it's positive interaction. Mm-hmm. Positive interaction is, isn't just, hey, you did a good job today. A positive interaction is we spent some time together and be through those exchanges of information and practice and exchange of thought and idea and application, I got you, I got you better. Mm-hmm. A little bit. So I say instead of me being at the the biggest is a is a dichotomy shift. Instead of instead of being at 100 percent because that's what we always want, right? Me at 100 percent Mm-hmm. I say, how about you focus on taking 100 people and affecting them 1%? That's a movement. Mm-hmm. And it's only 1%. So that could simply be, hey, listen, see the way you're wearing the stuff on your belt? Shifted just like this, it might stop hurting your lower back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I give such a basic example. Yeah, 100 people, 1%, that's a movement. I love that. So after uh, one of my questions I was going to have for you is how do you balance work life um, mixed with when I say work life, I mean like uh, this type of stuff, more like the other side of not law enforcement and then family and all those kind of things. Because I feel like it can be a lot just being in law enforcement and just having a full time, you know, having a family and all that stuff. How do you balance everything? Uh, By learning what didn't work. And realizing what I said to you before, you work for you, you work with an agency. Mm-hmm. No agency, no position, no situation deserves 100% of your time and your energy. Doesn't. That is a path, you know, that will lead you toward destroying relationships and to hurting the people. I just posted about this today, about the people in your arena. If you would imagine that, Ty, you have one, I have one, we have an arena. And in that arena are people. Who gets your VIP seats? If you were foolish like me, early on, the VIP seats were the people that I was desperately running into a room like a, like a dog with the tongue out and the tail wagging waiting to be pet. And the other folks that are really inside here to me would be in the cheap seats. And you know why? Because... Well, they're always going to be there. That's my safe zone. They understand. Do it backwards. Mm-hmm. So now for me, it doesn't matter. Right now, I, I dedicated this time to be with you. You dedicated the time to be with me. Mm-hmm. But if one of my children needed me, just like I do with my leadership behavior, I would say, Ty, I got to go. Yep. And you know why I would do that? Because I would expect you to know I would do the same thing for you. Mm-hmm. So now I allow myself that deviation, just like you should want for yourself, just like she should want for herself. So that that's, and that's how people then are comfortable in their skin, right? So I balance it out with exactly how it should be balanced. And I believe in this channel of understanding. We should help, especially as leaders, to get the younger officers and the newer officers to get them to physically and psychologically have an understanding with their families as to what this job entails. 
not the stuff, not the fancy stuff that, oh, today I could go to work and not come home. Yeah, everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. But I'm saying, no, you got to understand why I have to answer an email on my phone sometimes. You got to understand that my position calls for, I have to make notifications that can't wait. They have to be instantaneous. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean I don't love you. doesn't mean I'm not listening. But again, what, what, if you're dumb like me, what would you do with that? <laughs> you know my job and I would just do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. They don't know your job. And there's no way you'll achieve balance without communication. And I feel like this stuff is like your perspective and the, the way you put stuff is perfect just in life in general, not necessarily even in law enforcement. But I know, I feel like this stuff does, I, I know it works really well for me because I, I remember like getting into law enforcement and I would like read some other leadership books and it, maybe it wasn't someone that was actually in law enforcement. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if this stuff's going to work. They don't know how it is or whatever it might be. And I feel like we have like the nature to do that. So I can only imagine that with your background and stuff, I feel like it just helps resonate so much more because of the like inherent mindset that I feel like a lot of cops have. But I'm trying to break the mold that what is considered attractive and sought after compared to what's considered valuable. Mm-hmm. What's my point? If I recognize a young officer came to work um, when it's his daughter's birthday, I should be saying, hey, man, you have some comp time. You have some whatever. How can we work this out? Like, this is where you should be. Oh, but but I have intel that Ty is going to be coming down the road with a trunk full of cocaine. Okay. There'll be another day to Mm -hmm. get another Ty that comes down the road. Like, you see, but you know what I had when I was doing those things? I had bosses because i won't call them leaders oh yeah keep kicking ass no Mm -hmm. because you know what i was doing i was burning the ass of the people that really cared about me the whole me Mm -hmm. at my best and at my worst where i'm a number to you guys when i leave the operation continues that next morning i don't know any police department that has closed its doors to the public after somebody quits right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and i know we shouldn't be saying those things mm-hmm. oh what uh, no that would be the best recruitment tool mm-hmm. by retaining the retention of your people making them feel like they're valuable as people and that's why yes my ultimate goal is to permeate and penetrate the private sector so that they can understand this is where this is what was wrong with law enforcement not the way that we applied handcuffs on people i promise Yep. Man, that example you gave, I, quick little story. I had a boss that we have lost people because that things would work out where guys on shift would want to help someone that had a kid that had a birthday party and be like, yeah, man, I'll work for you. No big deal. And we had a boss that wanted the job to be like, was like, yeah, we have to work holidays. And so instead of like, even if the situation would work out and be fine, because someone else has kids and they want to take Christmas off and I don't have any kids. So I'm like, I'll work it. I don't care. And they would want the job to be hard. They wouldn't approve that. They would want it to be more difficult in a way because that person hasn't earned the right to have their holiday off or whatever it might be, even if they've only been around for a year or two. And I just thought that was insane to me that that was like even a mindset to be able to have, but I'm guessing it was just top behavior. But you know what though, Ty, again, what I always laugh at is who who's our customer base? 
the, the communities, right? Mm-hmm. What do the communities always do? I don't care where you're working when it's a holiday. The communities, oh my God, thank you for being for working on a holiday. They bring us stuff. They do all that stuff. What do we do to ourselves though? Mm-hmm. Uh, suck it up, kid. We all did like. So what I'm saying is like the the same people that we want so desperately to support us are showing us, but we don't know how to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then the, to me. I fall in love if I hear an employee who goes out of their way to help another employee. That's leadership Mm -hmm. compared to, excuse me, the guy or the girl who's got the most stops. Like, think about that for a minute. Or or the one that's great at backstabbing but can memorize policies. Like, and then you (laughs) wonder why your leadership elements stink. Mm -hmm. Well, they have no people. There's no people skills inside here, but, but this guy, Ty, who only scored an 80 is the one who everybody knows. If you're in a pinch, here's my shirt. You got it. Isn't that somebody that you would want to be a leader? Man, I love that. So I don't want to switch it off too much. I don't want to, I kind of want to switch from talking about this obviously isn't a hundred percent a law enforcement podcast. A lot of it's sure. based around kind of like, what do you do with your 24 and everything? And yep. I think you writing a book and getting it onto Amazon is absolutely incredible, let alone becoming number one on Amazon. So I have two questions for you. One, what was the process like to write a book, get it released? How many revisions did you might have? And then also if you had to write another book, what would the topic of that one be? Okay. So right the actual task of writing it is easy because that's a self-therapy, right? That's a mm-hmm. catharsis. That's a mouth diarrhea onto paper. And, oh, my God, it's my thoughts, and here I go, and I'm doing it. It took me far longer than it should have because I was so <laughs> damn obsessed with the insecurity of other folks and the mm-hmm. stones that they would throw. You know, oh, what do you think you are, Shakespeare? Or, you know, you're an author now. like, mm-hmm. And, you know, we pay so <laughs> much attention to that. Uh, so the actual process of writing it is quite easy. I was fortunate that I had a, um, even though I didn't like that part of school, um, my grammar and uh, my articulation uh, was there. So it was easy for me in terms of to be able to do that with minor revisions and edits that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a few big box publishers that were interested in my story and my idea but then they own you. And for mm. me, time was of the essence because I was being, I was going to be part of that large conference and I wanted to make sure it was ready. So that's why I decided to self-publish. Mm. So yeah, I'm proud of the fact of being a self-published author. You know, I was told for my first work to expect 200 copies and that would be something to be proud of. And uh, when I, you know, surpassed 10,000 copies, I went, oh. this is obscene. I, I, yeah. I just could not believe <laughs> that that happened to me and and to get people that reach out to me and say, Hey man, your book. And it's like, Oh my gosh. Right. Um, So the process, I was very fortunate. Um, There's a fellow by the name of Adam Davis Mm -hmm. and uh, he's part of team never quit. So, you know, the Marcus Luttrell's of the world Mm -hmm. and they mentored me. Um, Adam has written several books. Marcus Luttrell has written books. The other members of his team have written books, you know, all these, the, the Jockos, these types of guys. So mm-hmm. I emulated them because I, I admire them and I look up to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were the ones who helped me in terms of getting hooked up with an actual publication source. 
and then uh, getting it going from there. I'm old fashioned. I like a book in my hand, but I had the, your generation all up on me saying, you got to do an audio book, got to do yep. an audio book. So <laughs> I did the audio book in a studio um, with another really talented fella, um, Shamil Sinha is his name. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had a noise reduction, uh, all this equipment he had yeah. far over my head. <laughs> uh, but I read, I narrated it myself and uh, that was an arduous task. But um, from there, it just, it was very, I was surprised just how easy it was. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that often. So I always refer them to like Adam, who's amazing. He'll help you get going and, and get you out there and get your word out there. Um, but now, uh, because of some of the notoriety and the success that I've had, you know, I might lean upon a publisher for my next project, which I have a couple of ideas in my mm-hmm. pocket that um, <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I've already, since the book, I've already written a few articles. I've done the IACP, International Association of Peace of Police, mm-hmm. and I've had some private sectors that have sought me out to provide some uh, pieces. So. I think that um, I like, I have two trajectories in my mind as far as policing and then the civilian side of things as far as relationships. Mm -hmm. So I think that from a police officer and how we screw up things (laughs) might be something. And then from the policing perspective, I like some of the ideas. I like the 10 cop commandments. I have Mm -hmm. uh, some pretty cool ideas for that too. So I have some exciting projects that are, you know, in my brain right now, and uh, that we'll start getting in the paper soon. Okay, that's awesome. Sounds great. Who do you think you get the most inspiration from? Oh, um, well, without getting emotional, I guess um, courage was from my mother. I watched her battle terminal cancer and knowing she was going to die, and still having the ability to put a smile on her face, um, and from, you know, just maybe the smell of a spring day uh, and the flowers outside to the serene sound of, you know, rain against the window. So she taught me that things I didn't embrace at the time because I was young, that now um, that only as a spirit and an angel to me that I think about often. Um, mm-hmm. So that's part of it. Um, I've been very blessed to have people around me that have showed me work ethic uh, that I try to emulate. Um, and I guess this is going to sound crazy, uh, but my children, my children inspire me because I believe that their generation has had so many damn obstacles uh, placed in front of them. Mm-hmm. But to watch their innocence and to watch their optimism and to watch their uh, unconditional love for me, uh, they've taught me more than I could ever teach to a student or an audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, oh man, on those days where I told you before, where I fake it until I feel it. I often start to feel it very quickly when I go to my grateful and, uh, and I look at them. Um, it fuels me with an adrenaline rush like none, like no other. I love that. So kind of the uh, question that I always ask everybody whenever they're on the podcast, because it's, you know, the what do you do with your 24 podcast, but it's more obviously in the bigger sense, but quite literally, what do you do with your 24? If you had to kind of tell me what a normal day for you looks like. Sure. Um, I'm a huge proponent of nutrition and fitness. So it's whether it's at the beginning of the day or the end of the day, um, I do a workout, whether it's traditional strength training, calisthenics, um, a CrossFit routine, a, you know, a high impact, like a hit uh, session. And I match that with a mental health. 
So it could be a five minute meditation. It could be a 20 minute meditation. Um, I do mala beads. I don't know if you're familiar with that from like uh, Muhammad Ali. It looks like a, it looks like a set of rosaries almost. Hmm. And the way like Muhammad Ali understood it and preached it was that if you repetitively say a slogan or, you know, a mantra that it becomes your truth. So it could be something as easy as, you know, uh, I, I'm just going to get better today. I'm going to get better today. I'm going to get better today. You repeat it a certain series of times and it becomes rhythmic in your mind. Um, I hit, you know, I always do everything I do in segments. So what I can control with work, I control and I allow myself brief periods to step away. And, you know, like I said, just step away, listen to a song, do something to always ground myself so that work doesn't become me Mm -hmm. and and I don't get so absorbed into what I'm doing. Um, I engage a lot. I always coin that I have a 24-hour max turnaround. So if people do reach out to me, I always say, I'll get back to you. If I don't respond to you within 24 hours, you got the wrong Tom. Mm -hmm. People ask me, well, how the hell do you do that with everything (laughs) you have going on? And I say, well, because I believe strongly in the dash, you know, I can't control what my beginning date was. And I certainly can't control what my end date is. So it's going to be that dash. So do I exhaust myself during the day of doing these things? Yes, I do. And then no matter how busy I am or no matter how absorbed I am in other things, uh, the staple, in addition to, like I said, the mental health, the nutrition and the fitness is uh, I engage with my children. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, unfortunately, can only be by phone uh, because if I travel and I'm in a remote destination, mm-hmm. uh, but I have to do that engagement because uh, that's just me. I'll never go a day without engaging with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do, I do, whether it's a walk, a talk, or a sit still of a moment of, like I said, gratefulness and mm-hmm. something. I journal this um, and I, and I literally message myself it on my phone. So I do it double when I message it to myself, it then leaves it as an unopened message first thing in the morning. So I mm-hmm. believe at the end of the day, no matter where I am, no matter what time it is, I believe firmly in our subconscious takes over. So all the bad stuff or the stressful stuff or the, or the burden that you had throughout your day, um, if you just go to bed with that, and I don't care how long you're going to sleep, you go to bed with that, well, that's what you wake up with. So I go to bed with a grateful. It could be literally, and Ty, I'm being honest with you, it could literally be, hey, my back didn't hurt today. And I'll message that to myself. And then in the morning, I see again, I wake up to a moment of positivity with an unopened message mm-hmm. that I see again, a gratefulness. Yeah. And I think that that's uh, changed my life. Yeah, I like that a lot. One thing that I've started doing that I learned from uh, Bedros Koulian. Do you know who that is? Mm-hmm. I learned from him that I was watching one of his podcasts and he says that he like wakes up every morning and he has this whole get shit done list and he focus and he like has this list of stuff he gets done before he even gets on his phone or anything. And that's been incredibly helpful to me for time management is to make sure that I'm not like getting up, laying in bed and just like scrolling, doing the doom scroll or anything like that, checking emails. I just try to make sure I'm getting everything done. But also, also just like texting people and just letting them know that I'm grateful for them, kind of having that list of people in the morning that you are grateful for. One, that That's definitely been something that's was prop, it was kind of hard for me to do because I'm kind of the guy that's always like joking around, having a good time, not really being serious. And like people are waking up now at 9 a.m. to text messages. I love you, man. I appreciate you, which is just, yeah, it's been it's been really cool for me to do that. But I've enjoyed that kind of process. 
So when it comes to meditating, what kind of meditation do you do? Everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go to, I have uh, a few apps on my phone, but then sometimes just to, for variety, I'll literally go to YouTube and type in morning meditation for anxiety, morning meditation for stress. And I literally blindly close my eyes, pick the first one to come. Cause I just like the variety. Mm-hmm. I learned, you know, in the fitness game that when you hit plateaus, your body can expect it. Your body gets used to it. And then your body stops responding to it. Mm-hmm. So as I've gotten older, <laughs> I've had to get creative <laughs> in the fitness game. So uh, I got creative in the mental health game as well. Nice. That's very cool. So what would you urge listeners to do with their 24, whether they're LEO or not? So you stole my thunder with the reaching out to people. It's part of mm. my class. I oh, did okay. this whole thing called chronicling. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to give too much away of it now. <laughs> Uh, it's based upon engagement with people where I say alphabetically in your phones alone, you have the time to always go on, like you said, scroll and look at some silly things. Or So I always say um, at some point in the day, alphabetically, and you can do this again in a rhythm. And people are about rhythms. I happen to, I have OCD, so it's easy for me, right? Because mm-hmm. I'll obsess over it if I don't. <laughs> but people that don't, people that aren't like me, and God bless you if you're not, because my OCD takes over me sometimes. Um, a simple, hey, I just, uh, I thought about you. Um, it makes other people feel alive. Mm-hmm. And why is that so near and dear to me? Because I'm big into the mental health game, and I've lost people uh, due to suicide that were close to me. And I could tell you for a certain fact, I did one of those silly check-ins. Uh, and like you, you, you always want to be poking jokes, making fun, having those those giggles. And I did something as innocent as that. And that was the check-in that ended up getting somebody to not check out that day. So I could tell you it's life-changing when you make other people feel alive. Mm-hmm. And the energy you put out there has a reciprocity effect and comes back to you. So I think what, pe- what I would urge people to do with their 24 is... By embracing, you know, the fact that you want to feel alive and you want to feel like you matter to somebody, make somebody else feel alive and make somebody else feel like they matter. And then you end up, you know, filling up your cup a little bit when you do that. Um, I think, I don't care how small or incremental it could be, invest in yourself. Physical health, mental health, motivation, discipline, they go hand in hand. Uh, I think investing in yourself, and again, yes, it's my slogan, but... If you're not the best version of you, you're never going to be able to see or get the best out of other people. Mm-hmm. So from your circles and your families and your groups compared to the, the people, the men and women that you lead in an organization, never going to happen until you're operating at your best. Mm-hmm. Man, that was, I think that's a great way to kind of start wrapping it up. Um, and then on that note, I was going to ask you kind of where can people find you? What do you, uh, you know, kind of wrap wrap up with? What can we do to help you? You know, the listeners being able to. Well, you know, I, I have a website. It's pretty easy. It's my name. So it's www.thomasrizzo.com. Uh, on there, you could find basically every want, everything you want to find about me. Classes. I do keynotes. I, I love a challenge. I love doing, you know, engagements or, or, or lectures or seminars uh, where they're not even cop audiences. So I love that mm-hmm. because it's a true challenge and I embrace that challenge. So uh, my goal, I, I've been to 42 states and my goal is to hit all 50. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, my website is definitely the easiest. Uh, I'm on Instagram where I'll constantly post different video short clips or messages about, you know, how to get better uh, sharing in, in certain trials and tribulations. And actually, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Um, and again, my whole thing is about networking and reaching out, uh, making these type of connections to share mm -hmm. and engage and to exchange and information and deep thought and theory uh, so that we can collectively just make this thing better, not just policing, but just mm -hmm. with people. And I do believe that it's effective. I do believe it has potential. And that's why, you know, I'm not stopping anytime soon. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being on the podcast today. I appreciate it, Todd. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah.